Cinema Jaws is sponsored by Overcast, an independent podcast app that embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. No exclusives, no premium content, no paywalls. Just a great podcast app for everyone. Get it for free in the App Store. And we thank them for their support. You're listening to Cinema Jaw, the greatest movies podcast ever, recorded on location from our respective homes in Chicago. My name is Matt Kay, and with me is Ride the Movie Guy, and sitting alongside us, as always, is Phil Me and Phil. Hello, I can breathe again. Uh, hey. oh, you sound so much better this week. This week on Cinema Jaw, Matt, we are talking Will Smith. We're talking our top three favorite Will Smith movies. This is great. I, there's so many to choose from. He's made some amazing films. So, I was looking at his filmography, and we've talked about it before. Hit after hit when he first got started. It's it's quite the role that few actors have ever really accomplished. You get your your Tom Cruise's, your Tom Hanks, and your Will Smiths, where it's just like bam, 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 hit after hit. It's crazy. Yeah, he's he's one of the greats, Mister Box Office, and it seems like he's back. There was a bit of a slump or a, a, a sag there, but now he's he's kind of on the climb again. Yes, we will be talking about a new Will Smith movie we're reviewing this week. And to help us do all that, Matt, we always have to have a great guest. That's right. Emmanuel Eman Noisette is in the house. He'll be joining us shortly. He's a podcaster, YouTuber, film critic, fellow CIC member, good friend of the show. I, I hear Matt. He was just out in L.A., so maybe he, he can tell us how, how he's experiencing, you know, Going out to these uh, beautiful parties out in L.A., E-Man's always got a story for us. Sure. He's a jet setter. He is. Besides that, we have more going on, don't we, Phil? Oh, you know, we're keeping it rolling with another Will Smith fact and another Will Smith clip. Not to mention two reviews this week, the aforementioned new Will Smith film, King Richard, as well as the new Kenneth Branagh film, Belfast. Belfast is in black and white, Matt. There's a lot of these modern day black and white movies. So mm. I thought this is a good time for you to take E-Man on in modern black and white movie trivia. Okay. All right. Sound good? Yeah, it's a. Sh it, it, there's a lot of them, but it's also kind of a short list. So I feel like I'll be decent at this. All right. Get thinking of that, Jawheads. Always fun when, when Matt takes E-Man on in trivia. They're very competitive, these two. They don't talk. I see them at screenings <laughs> together. They don't talk because they're they're angry that one that lost is so to not the other true. one in trivia. So not true. Good stuff. It is going to be a jam-packed jaw. Before we bring on E-Man, let's kick it off with a Will Smith fact. Yes. As Matt said, or I think it might have been Ryan actually, when he was first coming out, it was hit after hit after hit. And one of those hits, obviously, you know, is Bad Boys. Uh, that our, our fact of the day is about that. Uh, when making the film, director Michael Bay didn't like the script very much. And he would often ask Will Smith and Martin Lawrence in different like private discussions uh, about how the dialogue and like the pacing of the scene could improve. Uh, he also asked them and allowed them to improvise while the cameras were rolling, creating some stuff that wasn't even written in the script. Uh, he secretly told Will Smith to call Martin Lawrence a bitch before the car scene, which thusly led to the whole two bitches in the sea bit entirely improvised, never written in the script. One of the most iconic scenes Will Smith just made up on the spot. 
Wow. When you get two comedic talents like that in the same room, riffing off each other, you get some good stuff. So, I mean, Michael Bay may not be known as a, a great director, but he had some good instincts there, I think. I agree. Will Smith is a good improviser, too, because the uh, Independence Day one that we had earlier this month was also like an improvised bit. The, uh, uh, what the hell is that smell? There you go. <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. All right, Matt, we ready to get this this show rolling? I'm ready. E-Man actually was on. This is his second appearance this year. I like it. Emmanuel Noisette, back from L.A., back in Chicago. Welcome back to Cinema Joe. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really, really do appreciate it, fellas. How's everything going over at uh, E-Man YouTube channel over there? Still blowing up over there. Man, you know, listen, we're having a good time every Friday. We're going live. We're talking about the news. If you haven't participated in one of those live chats, you have to do it. I'll hop in there, man. Yeah. Does that, do. does that like bring a lot of pressure? I know you've been doing it for like over a year now going live, right? But- um, pressure. Yes. I'm not going to lie. Every time I do it, no matter how cool it might seem, how seamless it might flow, I get super nervous every single time I go live because I'm like, ah, it, 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 is there a mic check? Is the camera on? Like, ah, do I have my topics together? Like, you know, you guys got Phil here and he's like helping you guys out. <laughs> oh, in the background. Yeah. I'm a one man show and it's nerve wracking. And in the meantime, my kids are downstairs. They're hungry. They need some food. I'm just listen. It's a lot. It's a production, but it's worth it. Every single time. It's a good time. I'm telling you, everyone has fun. And that's all that matters to me. Well, you probably hear this a lot, but you make it come off so smooth, right? I, I mean, that, that's the thing. I know we've talked about just your YouTube videos, not even the live stuff, but your two YouTube videos and your, you know, now the live, you make it look seamless. I mean, you got to fake it till you make it. So that's, that's always been my motto. I've always want to make people believe that I have things together when, you know, when the camera's off, it's total chaos. So, you know. <laughs> same, same here, man. <laughs> So I was uh, joking that uh, you were flying all over the country. You're out in L.A. Yeah. Uh, you went out there for a couple of premieres and got to actually uh, sit in on some uh, Q&As and press conferences. Yeah, yeah. No, it was a beautiful, beautiful experience. Um, thanks to the uh, Critics' Choice Association. Um, just got I, I slipped in through the back door. They, I don't know why they let me in, but it's fine. Um, but no, they, they invited us out there. Uh, we went to go see uh, The Power of Dog. That's the Netflix movie with Benedict Cumberbatch. Very interesting movie. Um, then we went to, uh, then I went to the King Richard screening. Um, that was very, very fun, uh, especially with Will Smith. Just so happened to be there for a Q&A. So that was awesome. Um, and then Belfast. Yeah, so we went to see Belfast. And this was at the, um, at the Academy Motion Pictures Museum. Uh, which just opened oh, up. Cool. Oh my God, this thing is immaculate. Like they clearly spent a fulfillion dollars on this building. Um, I mean, if you ever go to LA and you just want to be a tourist, go there. Uh, I think they have a room where you can like, you know, model with an Oscar and stuff. Like it's, it's really amazing stuff uh, just being in there. But yeah, you know, we saw Belfast in there. Um, Kenneth Branagh and the cast were there. It was amazing. We did a press conference the next day. Um, really, really interesting insight, you know, gained uh, about his perspective on the movie and all that. Um, but yeah, overall, the experience, man. I mean, 
you know, I'll remember it forever. Sure. Sounds great. So there's actually a theater inside that Academy Museum. That's huge, sweet. Huge theater. I mean, you could host a small award show in there. That's yeah. They so like compared would, to the music box here in Chicago, bigger, about that size. Ooh, um, I'd say bigger. Wow. Bigger than the music box. I mean, I'd say maybe two of them put together. Jeez. Okay. Yeah. Like that's, in and that's just like on one level. I'm telling the place is huge. It's it's really, really nice. Really and do we nice. have like movie props inside this museum? Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. All, yeah. All, all, well, so you can go in there and see stuff like you know, <sighs> E. T. I mean, dolls or whatever, the DeLorean from Back to the Future. We we only went through a certain area, so I don't I couldn't explore the full museum. Um, but paintings wise, like you're seeing a lot of art and stuff. Now, the art that they put up was all Belfast related. So I'm sure it was interchangeable. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, I mean, there were a lot of other rooms and areas that I'm you pretty sure. Yeah. yeah. Like I would have needed half a day to like really, I mean, it's a museum, you know what I mean? So there's plenty of stuff in there that we all would geek out over, um, in there, but Oof, man! Like Ryan, I'll definitely go back if I can. We got to put that on the Cinema Jaw bucket list, dude. We got to yes, make a trip out do. there and please do cover it. A road trip, I like it. Um, Eman, you're a very big Marvel fan. If yeah. uh, anybody who hasn't been on Eman's YouTube channel, he's always got the, the scoop. He's got theories going on over there. That it, these theories are things I don't even know even exist. So <laughs> I don't know if I should believe them, but I do because he's our Marvel guy. So a big movie came out, Eternals, yeah. and critics finally gave a rotten score to a Marvel movie. And it seemed like all of the Marvel fanboys peed themselves. They were so upset. They were pissed, saying that the critics got it wrong. Yet, from what I understand, they also gave it a bad cinema score coming out. Not awful, yeah. but it's a yeah. low fan score, the lowest of uh, a Marvel movie. Yeah. A, where do you sit on this, uh, your grade towards Eternals? And what do you make of all of this, uh, people getting upset by a rotten score for a Marvel movie? So there are a lot of actual factors going on with this. So from my perspective with the movie, um, I'm right in the middle of both extremes. I didn't think it was the best Marvel movie, but it was far from being the worst as well. So um when I started seeing some critics saying this was the worst movie in Marvel, I'm like, have you not seen Thor one or two? Have you not seen Captain Marvel? Like, what are you talking about? Like it's hmm. the movie is different, but different doesn't mean bad, you know, different doesn't mean that it's going to be terrible or anything like that. It just means that it's going to appeal to a different sensibility depending on your expectations. And that's was, that was something I told people in my review, like, hey, whether this worked for me or not is irrelevant because what's going to matter for you is, are you going to cr uh, connect with these characters? If you can't make that connection that Chloe Zhao is pushing for, if you don't care about the relationship, if you don't care about the love, if you don't care about the individual choices that these characters make, you're not going to like this movie. You know, it's not the, you know, uh, action-packed space adventure that Guardians of the Galaxy was. You know, if you go in with that expectation, you will be disappointed. Now, I've told people also, go watch Nomadland. 
Look at Chloe Zhao's work. Look at how she operates behind the camera. And if you like that, if you like the pacing, if you understand what she goes for and she wants to make you feel things rather than, you know, blow stuff up in your face, Michael Bay style, then you can appreciate the movie differently. So that's why I was saying, like, you know, when people say they hate it, I get it. When they say they love it, I also get it because it depends on what you were expecting. And it also depends on like what you resonate with or not. Now, I've kind of left um, the the movie thinking that it probably would have worked far better as a Disney Plus series, just because I think that with 10 characters, you need time to adjust and connect with them. And then totally, totally. even when it comes to like the love story between the two main characters, I did for me, it didn't work because we only got more we got more of one side than the other you know and i think about love stories that work love dramas that work we usually get both perspectives equally so whether the characters work out or not is relevant because we understand both sides and i thought the biggest hitch with the eternals was and i'm trying not to spoil it for people who haven't seen it but the dynamic of one of the partners in the relationship is kind of kept hidden from us obviously for a plot device later on but i think it also sacrificed us understanding the challenges emotionally that they dealt with so for me that was kind of like a miss it was a compromise but it was a miss nevertheless um so for me look make my top 15 of marvel because i can only compare marvel with marvel at this point with all their movies um it's somewhere in the top 20 ish for me but it's definitely not at the bottom at all um and i thought it did a good job you know setting up the groundwork for the mythology and cosmic stuff that's going to happen in the mcu i mean i completely agree with you man i would that's where i was i said oh yeah sure you do matt (laughs) hey roll the tape back i said it was at the top of the bottom for me you know if you think of it in three tiers it's at the top of the bottom tier marvel wise I, yeah. I had fun. I, I enjoyed yeah. the movie. There's some clumsy bits for sure, but I had fun. I walked out of there smiling. Thought it was yeah. a good action fantasy adventure. So, so you uh, right at your last point that you made there, E-Man, I think you sort of spoiled my next question. But in, in our review, I, I mentioned that I, I don't need everything to connect in the Marvel world. Mm-hmm. I, I know this is huge for the Marvel fan base. But for me as a, as a moviegoer, I don't, I don't care if all of these movies connect. That's not that exciting for me. Yeah. I said, I actually think this would have been better if it wasn't connected to the MCU. Um, and, and I didn't buy the idea that the, the excuse they give in, in one quick line is that they're not supposed to interfere with uh, wars between, you know, the, the men. We're talking Thanos came to Earth, which is a god. They yeah. don't they don't get involved. Uh, Loki, yeah. a god, is coming to Earth, and we're supposed to believe that they just were, were dormant this entire time and they decided not to step in. For me, I look at that as like, well, it's just so goofy. What, what, fine if you want it to be that way, but don't be so serious about these movies if it's that's that's the line they're giving me, and I'm supposed to buy that. Where, where do you fall on that? What have right. been better if it wasn't well, part we're of the big MCU hairs universe? on a movie that came out a, a month ago, right? <laughs> so I, these are I, questions I need an expert. I, I, to now, I, OK, now you asked two different questions. Do you want me to explain the non-interference aspect or start with that one? OK, so the whole non-interference thing, because I struggled with that, too. I was like, 
you guys were told not to interfere with conflict, but at the same time, you're interfering by helping. <laughs> what are you doing? You know, but um, are we doing spoilers? I don't know if you can. It's been out a little bit. OK, you know. I'll, I'll dance yeah. around it. I'll, I'll just say that them interfering positively, helping humanity tied directly to their actual mission. They actually did need to push humanity forward because that did tie into their ultimate goal. Uh, so I think that even though Thanos came through and disrupted the process, um, it didn't matter because it still was going to get to the end goal, even if it was slightly delayed. Tell me what what was the first part? I'm sorry. The and, question. and then the first question was, wouldn't, wouldn't it have just been better if it was it's oh, it, it was not connected to not the whole connected. MCU, but yeah. I think I see you're going to this next phase four. But yeah. I would have liked this just to have been a standalone Marvel movie about these gods, yeah. And I would have been okay with it. Where where do you fall on that? Yeah, you can't you can't condition people for over a decade with over twenty plus movies of interconnectivity from the very beginning, and just stop. That's that is detrimental at, at that point. I mean, it's just the fact that. Marvel has literally conditioned us to stay after for post-credit scenes. When that doesn't happen, you don't get sleep. It's like, what what happened? Something's not right right now, you know? And don't get me wrong. I totally understand where you're coming from, um, especially, like, if you're not heavily invested in the MCU, yeah, of course it doesn't matter because you don't have that attachment, right? But, you know, if movie after movie after movie after movie for over 10 years this is the whole premise and let's not simply throw away what the mcu is in this world i mean thank you mcu is completely unique from anything we've ever seen we've never seen a level of cinematic interconnectivity to this level at all and i'm i'm including all the rockies you know all the movies that you know all the, the friday bond. the 13th yeah even the bonds even the halloweens I, whatever movie franchise is out there that has a plethora of sequels none of that touches what the mcu is doing um they've created a culture in a sense cinematically um and and it's you know you can't just disrupt that now that would have been something they should have done in phase one you know, maybe right. you would have had time to do a couple spinoffs or whatever and do the one shots, as they call them. Actually, matter of fact, they have one shots, um, but <laughs> those are still connected too. Um, but yeah, it, we're, we're too far down this rabbit right. hole to pull Matt, out. One, Matt, one question for you and be I honest. I am touched. I am touched. Be, I was going to say, <laughs> so Matt, nice be to honest. have you, man, on the show. Go ahead, Ryan. What's your question? My question to you, Matt, and be honest are your pants still dry? No. Because you look it's really so, so nice. happy over there. It's, you're you're related. It's so nice to have when we have E-Man on the show because he validates my point of view. <laughs> oh, That's what it is. Because I, I, I say these face. things to Ryan every week, E-Man, and he just doesn't take he doesn't believe me for some reason, you know? Yeah. No, I I do get exactly I I I agree. Huge thing that they've connected here and 10 years i agree but i'm saying that marvel could still make movies like you're saying like one-off movies that don't everything doesn't have to be connected now i i've argued that i'm not going to watch every television show so am i going to miss out i'm, I'm eventually going to i feel eventually i'm just going to get out so, of it i'm not going to know what's going on i think i think to address your concern um 
this is one of the reasons why they're not going to stop connecting things, but what they will do is um, lessen the degree of impact. And that's what the Disney Plus shows are for. So the, a, lot, a lot of the Disney Plus shows, you can sit here and watch WandaVision and never watch anything else and be satisfied because it kind of exists in its own little ecosystem, even though it's meant to supplement other Marvel properties. It's meant to build up the character. I mean, when you watch WandaVision, you could just be watching it as this is a cool little you know series, TV throwbacks. I get to know these characters. Once it's done, it's done. That's for you as someone who's, let's say, not connected to the MCU. For me, connected to the MCU, I'm like, hey, now I get to see this character that I've seen before. I learn more about them. But at the same time, I'm learning about magic in this cinematic universe and what it means. If I'm doing the same thing with Loki, sure, I could watch it for this funny little demigod running around, having fun, and time traveling and stuff like that leave it alone and that's it or as a marvel fan i'm watching it and i'm like oh my gosh look at thor's brother by the way i just learned what the multiverse is you know so there's different degrees of connectivity that you can have um and not feel as though you have to know everything and i think that was intentional i think that's why they wanted those disney plus shows there um not as a requirement but as an option so even if you're a sure. deep Marvel fan, you don't have to watch them. You can just stick to the movies. You'll just miss out on some of the filler stuff. Gotcha. I, I want to add one thing. I don't want to beat okay. this up because, but you brought it up, Ryan. So I blame you. <laughs> this same problem happened within the comic books. It's yeah. happened to Marvel and DC. It, when, when continuity gets so heavy at some point, they can't just keep putting in the footnotes. This happened back in issue 21. Right. They just reboot the whole thing. I bet you at some point that will happen with the MCU, but we're talking about 26 films or 27 versus, you know, hundreds of issues of comics before that came up, became a real problem. Yeah. So they've got a lot of space to work with, but you know, people with a puny brain, like Rye, the movie guy, <laughs> all that continuity just, just hurts. So, it, you know, I, I get where you're coming from, right? Yeah. It's, it's tough. I, I can't quite grasp it all. Um, all right, it, it's enough Marvel talk. Let's get back to Will Smith. We're celebrating him this month, and we like to play a lot of times a game where we call Keep, Destroy, Spielberg Remake, and you got to do just that. Mm. Keep one film, destroy one for all the time, and mm. the other one, Spielberg, has to make a, a remake of it. Your three movies are Independence Day, Men in Black, the first one, and I Am Legend. Keep one as is, destroy one for all of time, and one of them, Spielberg has to remake. You said the first Men in Black? The first Men in Black. This isn't fair. <laughs> I don't like this game. This might be the hardest one yet. I don't like yeah. this game. Wow. Plus it tips wow. the hand uh, uh, to our top three later, right? I know, but it's okay. It's, I like to see E-Man sweat a little bit. You know, He's I mean, having such I'm a sweating. good time talking Marvel. Let's, let's put him through I'm the sweating. grinder a little bit. All right. Uh, um, I will say... Uh, this, this hurts. I will say destroy. I don't. Oh, this feels like such a betrayal. <laughs> it's a betrayal. You I don't, don't even like want to say it. I it's just imaginary. Like, destroy one of these? Like, why would I do that? I would destroy uh, 
Independence Day. Wow. Uh, oh, you see, there, there, there was no winning like, here. Like Let the laser coming down on the White House. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I'm, and the only reason I say destroy that, the only reason I'm trying to give any rationale to this absurd situation that you put me in <laughs> is because Will Smith wasn't like the main focus. That was okay. like, out of these three movies, he was not the main one. Sure. And he kind of co-starred with other people. You know, you still had Goldblum in there, and, you know, Paxson and all that. So, oh, if we had to destroy one, it'd be that. I don't like it, but fine. <laughs> um, remake. I, I'm going to keep I Am Legend as wow. is. And I'll have Steven Spielberg remake Men in Black only because I think wow. that's closer to his lane. I think Steven Spielberg would like something that gives him more um, levity. It gives him more flexibility. You can have some serious drama, but you can still have the lighthearted stuff in there. And you might mess around and get an E.T. cameo. Boom. There you go. <laughs> I, I do think, let me go uh, here, Matt. I do go think ahead. that uh, Spielberg remaking Men in Black is the right answer. So I, I would do that. I would just flip the two uh, E-Man had. So I would actually destroy I Am Legend. Um, and mainly because I watch Independence Day every 4th of July right around then. If there was a, a legend holiday and I was watching I Am Legend <laughs> every year, maybe it would be different. But for me, I would destroy I Am Legend and keep Independence Day. How about you, Matt? I'm a huge sucker for a great sci-fi romp. And I think Independence Day is one of the best. Keeping that one as is. And I'm flipping again and saying, I think Spielberg's take on I Am Legend would be amazing. He's done a great job adapting books and he can come with the seriousness. And as much as I like that movie, it's flawed. And I think that Spielberg might be able to fix some of those flaws. And I would go ahead and throw away Men in Black. It's kind of fun, but it's also kind of campy and I could it live the my 90s. life. I know. I know, but I prefer Independence perfectly. Day. Okay. I prefer Independence That's Day. That's fair. All right. E-Man is sitting in on this entire jaw. He has his top three favorite Will Smith. We're going to go round. He's also seen Belfast and King Richard. So we're going to have some fun discussion here. E-Man, for the jawheads that do want to check out your YouTube channel, hear your reviews, where should we send them online? Oh, yeah. E-Man's movie reviews. Uh, you can find me on YouTube, Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, uh, at Eman's Reviews. That is absolutely where you want to go. And like I said earlier, you definitely want to join in on those live chats. We talk about the movie news and TV. It is a blast. And what time on Fridays? Oh, yeah. Uh, it is um, 5 Pacific, uh, 8 Eastern. So okay. 7 Central. I have to give everybody because people get confused. So. I get confused. Wherever, wherever time zone you in, 7 Central, work your way out from there. And for the Jawheads listening, we will put notes. We will put links in the show notes, as always. Awesome, Matt. Um, let's just say this. Sports and movies make a special pairing sometimes. In fact, some of the fondest movies of all time revolve around the sports world, from Rocky to Hoosiers, Million Dollar Baby to The Natural. It's the classic underdog tale that draws us in. However, the formula in these films seems to stay the same. Because of this, we get some duds in there in the genre every once in a while. What side of the net does King Richard fall on? Well, with it being the story of the Williams sister, sisters, chances are it's a winner.
go to the sky. Yeah, that's it. There you go. They're not going to Wimbledon like this. Not with you and me on those raggedy courts. We just got to stick to the plan. We got champions in the other room. You told him all this? Richard, I'm impressed. I think you might just have the next Michael Jordan. Oh, no, brother man. I got me the next two. <laughs> Venus and Serena Williams are household names, not just here in America, but globally. They are two of, if not the best tennis players to ever play the sport. How did they get there? And who helped them along the way? King Richard tells us this story in what I'm calling the feel-good movie of 2021. Will Smith plays Richard Williams, father of the two tennis superstars. From a very young age, he was convinced that his daughters would go on to be the best to play the sport. The family lived in Compton, California in the 1980s. He would bring his daughters out to tennis courts that were surrounded by thugs and gang members. He would routinely drive out to wealthier tennis clubs and try to convince tennis coaches that they should start training his daughter if they wanted to train future world champions. You can imagine their reactions. Who are you? What are you talking about? It all seemed so far-fetched. Well, he was right. But to be right, he needed to convince a few coaches along the way to take a look at his daughters and see how talented they were. One of these coaches was Rick Macy, who's played here by Jonathan Bernthal. He moved the Williams family to Florida to train and eventually turned pro. The tennis story focuses mainly on Venus, who was just who was two years older than her sister and the one who hit success first. However, the movie overall really focuses on Richard Williams and his wife, Brandy, who raised five amazing daughters together. They installed something in their daughters that gave them a step up on everyone else. Confidence. They also made sure they were humble and caring and had a drive to be the best at whatever they wanted to be. I was moved to tears two times, and that's not counting the end credits when they list the astonishing accomplishments of Venus and Serena. The film tackles a lot. It's not just about tennis. It's an easy film to cheer along with, and it's an easy film to recommend. Heck, I think this should be shown to all school kids everywhere this holiday season. A lot to discuss here. I'll start by asking you guys, what did you think of Will Smith's performance? Matt? Will Smith is, like we said it before, he's, he's kind of a, a hit machine. But he can also turn in one hell of a dramatic performance. Sometimes he lets that goofball character come out when it's one of the more lighter dramatic performances. But he wisely tamped that down here his character is warm don't get me wrong very very likable even when he gets up to mischief and and starts believing his own hype but will smith knocked this one out of the park what do you think e-man uh definitely completely agree um i'm already at the point where i'm like if he doesn't win best actor this year i don't see how he's gonna get it again and i'm ready to riot like if he doesn't get it this year i mean it's this seriously was a oscar award winning performance um and i i thought that before i heard him 
talk about the role. So when, uh, you know, I was listening in on the Q&A, this man really dives deep into his character way beyond just, oh, let me mimic this person. You know, I mean, when we talk about method acting, um, he was telling the audience about how it took him six weeks just to understand the vernacular, the dictation, the the way that Richard Williams spoke, you know, just noticing little things like how um, he doesn't use his tongue, you know, to speak, which is odd. You know, it's like these little things that you notice, but you didn't realize in detail that particular thing, um, even to, you know, his gait, like how he walks and stuff, you know, like that's not yeah, him yeah. just trying to overact. No, that's how the real life person is due to getting beat up and harassed by police and the KKK down South and stuff like that over years, you know, and stuff. So um, the attention to detail and the execution of it is something that you want from all performances and Will does not shy away from that whatsoever. So um, his performance was captivating, um, immersive, uh, relatable, and it was just a beautiful thing. I mean, this is, you know, what we want to see in our actors. So <clears throat> for me, this was like easily one of his best performances. Here's here's something I, I'm curious if, if this came up at the Q&A, because this is something I was thinking about. I know me and Ryan talked about this a little bit after the movie. This is called King Richard. So it's obviously Richard Williams story, but it's not what you would expect. I mean, like you expect it to be about Venus and Serena or at least just Venus in this case. Did that come up in in the Q and A? Because um, he over his, his character overshadows yeah, the girls. No, so that's okay. So a couple of things. One, and I didn't know this because I didn't have cable like in the early '90s or whatever. So I wasn't watching ESPN. I didn't know. But I think for a lot of the listeners out here, uh, if you're unfamiliar with Richard Williams, he was basically the Lavar Ball before Lavar Ball. You know, so he was that boisterous um showman in a sense um that was promoting his daughters before anything um one thing will did share with us was in his research obviously richard williams had so much footage they had like over 200 hours of footage of him because that's just how much he was on tv but one thing one insight that will did talk about um to your point matt about him being overshadowing Richard was also a protector he was very conscious yeah. and conscientious of the image of his daughters and protecting that and not only of his daughters but being black as well and he was really mm -hmm. protective of it to the sense where it was like let me get in front of the camera let me take those questions let me do all the talking so you can stay back, and there was a theme in the movie, and be humble. So a lot of that was intentional on his end as a means of being a protective parent to the sisters. So if the movie shows it off that way, it's because that's the way he really was. Do you think, guys, both of you, I want to I ask this question. Does the movie shy away from a bit of the controversy surrounding Richard Williams being a, a, a bit of a showboater, what we were just talking about. Um, because you can say that he was protecting his daughters and obviously that's the way it comes across in the film. Or you could say he wanted the spotlight on himself. 
Do you think, and, and I'm not saying which one's reality because I think the movie at least dips its toe into that, but could it have gone into that a bit more? I think maybe yes for me. Well, I think at one point, I think it's, it's Rick Macy when he has that big conversation with him in the driveway um, where, you know, at one, there's this circuit that the, the tennis players go on called juniors and uh, Venus has been on there. And I, th- I think her record was something like 63 and oh, or something just ridiculous. Bonkers. Yeah. Just insane. And uh, will the, the father uh, Richard pulls the daughter out and says, we're not going to play juniors anymore. And Rick Macy, who's willing to like move the family to Florida, train the, the, the daughters. And now, what we're not we're not going to let her play in juniors anymore he was so upset and i think it it sort of tackled that issue there matt is when the coach says okay what is this is this the right. richard show you know i think that it addressed it yeah. to some degree there and i and i think you know i think matt your question is going to depend on uh the viewer's perception of things right so for me I, you know let me just be honest when this movie was announced i was like will what are you doing like why aren't a movie about the dad and not the sisters? Like, what? why? Who's going to care about this? What is the big deal? But it's like the more you actually learn about his story and, okay, little fun tidbit. You know how they kept talking about the plan, the plan, the plan? I got a plan. Right, right. Yeah. One thing that um, Will was talking about was how Richard wrote this plan. It's like a a real thing like a 78 yeah like, like a it's manifesto. a 78 page yeah. plan i gotta read that this two years before the girls were born and that was like his proposition to his wife he was like look <laughs> i got this plan <laughs> we don't even have these kids yet but this is what's gonna happen and the crazy thing was just like how this man and, and I guess for you, like, I know how you're talking about the perception of it. One thing for me was kind of like, if I knew nothing about this guy, this movie would have seemed so corny and it would have seemed unbelievable. It would have seemed like a work of fiction just in terms of how mm-hmm. prophetic he sounded. I'm like, this sounds stupid. That's like if someone did a Michael Jordan story and you just had the guy playing his dad say, you're going to be the best one day, you know, like. I don't know. Maybe he told him that, but maybe he didn't because his brother was better than him, you know, but the way this guy really was. And and I think the other thing that kind of helps better inform my um, approach to this film is that both the sisters were involved. The family was involved, you know, so I don't think that mm-hmm. they would portray their dad in any because there are some not so great moments you know richard is not obviously perfect um i think that they tried to be as true as possible to this extraordinary person that he really was like he's very unconventional you know um but extraordinary as well so for me i'm like you know what with so many people involved i'm going to have to take what they say and be like okay i'll run with it if you say that's what how he was and he was doing those certain things in meetings, you know, or whatever. I'll believe you. Well, and and we yeah. got the proof, right? There's all that footage and you can't argue with right. the results. Right, right. Yep. I, I think one of the nice things, too, about the movie was, yes, I think everybody knows the Williams sisters. But early in their career, I wasn't nearly 
as aware of them, especially when Venus was first becoming pro. I didn't know what was going on. So for me, the ending of this movie, as it leads into their professional career, I didn't know where that big match was going to go. And we'll leave that, you know, spoil free here. We're not going to say anything. So that was fun. The interesting thing was coming out of the screening, Matt says to me, he watched that match live. I, I can't believe Matt watched a sporting event that didn't have a skateboard in it, much less this particular tennis match. What, what, what are you talking about, Matt? My dad watched tennis. Okay. My dad played tennis every day after work. He'd come home at like eight o'clock at night. You know, that was his thing. And so we didn't watch football. We didn't watch baseball. We didn't watch golf. We watched tennis. So I saw that match live and it's tough to forget uh, her look. That was, that was the first time a, a black woman in, in this sport that was, uh, you know, with, beads. with the, the yeah. white beads in her hair, she was so yeah. striking. Uh, and it was amazing to watch her play. And that's yeah. all I'll say, because I don't want to, you know, that was a, a yeah. pivotal moment in the film. So, yeah, um, but it's a famous a real match that happened. But yeah, well, I, I want to go next to our, our jaw dropping moments, a, a moment in the film that really was magical. And I'll start because there were two of them. And, and one you're mentioning with, with the hair, uh, with the, the braids that. Uh, so Jawheads, you, you've seen these movies, these moments in movies uh, numerous times when a character in the film sort of becomes themselves. Uh, picture Joaquin Phoenix the first time in, in The Joker when all of a sudden he comes out with that makeup on and he comes down those steps. Um, but even more so in sports when uh, the U.S. hockey team gets the speech from the, the coach and they all come out of the locker rooms tapping the, the telegrams from all around the country to beat the Russians. It's this moment where you feel it. Maybe it was because I didn't think this, this film was going to have it, but the first time we see Venus come out of the room with the braids, tears rolled down my eyes. I was so moved. Yeah, it was awesome. Was it was one. awesome. That was a good one. For me, for me, it was that moment. Um, it, this, is, this is a little bit of a, an important moment, so I got to dance around this too, where father and daughter have a meeting oh, at the net. Yeah. And there's some real honesty that goes back and forth over that net. And it's interesting that they're standing on opposite sides of the net because it's almost like a bit of a back and forth tennis thing going on. I hope that was a conscious choice, but I certainly got that from it. There's so much emotion. And that was for me, the Oscar moment for Will Smith, just mm. man, devastating in a good way. Felt great. Well, you guys took both of my moments. Um, so I, <laughs> I think the only other moment I, I'd have is probably the kitchen scene um, between the husband and Ooh, wife. And, and I mean, shout out to engineers. I mean, that was, you know, I, I didn't expect her to have such a strong supporting role, you know, um, and sure. she showed out in that role, that whole scene, that back and forth, I thought was fantastic. Oh, and I mean, just, excellent. yeah, each one of those scenes yeah. that we just brought up, those scenes on cue tears every single time for me, I was mm -hmm. just like, how dare you put water in my eyes? Like what? I did not come for this. <laughs> I thought I was coming to see some tennis yeah. and some, some, yes. So yeah. Yeah. One, one, one other, I, I do want to mention this one because this was another great moment was when uh, Venus is being interviewed by yeah. uh, ESPN and she gives her answer very confidently, but the interviewer um, follows it up with a question, basically questioning her confidence and will steps in and he's like she's a 14 year old girl she answered you confidently what more do you need i yeah. i mean what a moment and i 
I've never thought about that. A parent protecting the confidence of their kids. Oh man. Again, tears yeah. in my eyes. Yeah. Loved it. I mean, that's, you know, and, and I appreciated those moments because, and I like, I like how they showed what informed him on those things. Right. So he's seeing the other mm -hmm. tennis players getting hooked on drugs and, you know, crumbling under pressure and stuff. But at the same time, you know, you also have to understand his history. This is why he was talking about his upbringing. He's dealt with a lot of racism, you know, especially coming from the deep mm -hmm. South way back, even further, you know, sixties, you know, fifties, um, you know, so he was dealing with segregation. He was dealing with the thick of things. So you combine the normal pressures of these athletes on top of that with the racism. And then the fact that you're the first, you know, as Venus, like you're going to be the first, which means, you know, and for a lot of prominent black figures, whenever you're the first, there comes a lot of heat and a lot of challenges and a lot of pressure. And he was very conscious of that. And that moment was like, I mean, I loved it. I was just like, that is so mm -hmm. awesome because he knew what the reporter didn't understand. Like the reporter didn't get yeah. what he's like, you know, the reporter's like, I'm doing my job, but he didn't really understand like mm -hmm. the effects that it would have on these children, you know? So that was a great, great moment. Yeah, no doubt. Film has a lot of them. Matt, you got a movie poster quote for us? King Richard may be a return to form for Mr. Box Office. I'm predicting this is going to be a, a, a big hit. Oh, yeah. I, I love the release time right around Thanksgiving here, too. I mean, such a good choice. It's it's opening up uh, next weekend, the 19th, and it's also streaming on HBO Max. So do check it out. I went with uh, my movie poster quote, game, set, match. King Richard Ooh, is a I winner. Like that. I like that. How many jaws here, guys? We're on a four-jaw scale. We'll oh, start with Eman. No question. I'm giving it four. Four? Yeah, I don't I don't. I, I, it's just I, I struggle to find very many things wrong with it. And, you know, if you if your movie can move me emotionally, you win. Yeah, Matt, this is this is a four jaw movie. There's, wow, there's four jaws. very little to detract. Uh, it's great. Loved it. Boy, I, I hate giving it three point five. Here we but... go. <laughs> That is what I wrote down 3.5. The only, the only problem I have is, and I just have this with a lot of sports movies. I feel like it's too formulaic with the beats of the sports <sighs> movie. Like, Oh, here it comes. Here it comes. But I didn't there's a lot problem. of bad, a lot of bad sports movies where I'm like, it just doesn't work. Not the case here. It, it won me over big time. I loved it. So highly, highly recommend. Definitely one of the best films of the year. And I'm with E-Man. I mean, he might not win the Oscar, but I don't see him not, not getting nominated here for, I think that's a slam dunk for King Richard. So Jawheads, check it out uh, in the theater or on HBO Max. Let us know what you think. Shoot us a tweet at CinemaJaw, or you can email us feedback at CinemaJaw.com. It's a tennis movie, and I wanted to ask you guys, to the Jawheads, that they just heard this review, and they're like, yeah. Well, King Richard isn't out just yet. It comes out on the 19th, but I want to watch a great tennis movie. Where do you send to me, man? You got another tennis uh, recommendation? The most I can give you is maybe Battle of the Sexes. That 
that's probably the closest I can give you because I'm gonna be honest, I don't watch a lot of tennis movies. If it's football, basketball, baseball, hockey, I could give you anything. But tennis, I, I don't know. It's I, mm, battle of the sexes is the closest I can get, man. Math, I'm afraid to ask. <laughs> There's not a lot of tennis movies to be to be seen, frankly. Uh, no is my answer, but I have a great tennis script that I wrote called Tennis Punks, and uh, I'd be happy to share that with the Jawheads if they care to read a script. Wow. Well, I got one um, that came out just a few years ago called Borg versus mm. McEnroe, and Shia LaBeouf plays McEnroe, and to, All right. to great Sold. effect... To great effect. He's, he's wonderful in it. And um, uh, Bjorn Borg was this superstar. He was going for sure. his fifth Wimbledon championship. And McEnroe was the up-and-comer trying to win his first Wimbledon when they met. And the two couldn't be different when it comes to like personalities and preparation before a match. You know, McEnroe was this hothead. Bjorn was, you know, everything about, you know, orderly, uh, getting ready for the match. But yet, competitively a lot in common and uh great performance by uh shia uh can we see if it's streaming out there uh phil somewhere throw that in the uh fish tank borg versus McEnroe. i i highly recommend and then one last one since matt didn't give one i'll fill one in for that gave one i said you can read my script and uh I, I he's on the down and outs here woody allen but he does have match point uh with scarlett johansson which was a tennis movie um where they meet at a tennis club and then it's there's a murder mystery involved this is a stretch but we'll give it to you there's That's just not a lot of tennis movies time to make more all right we might not have great recommendations when it comes to tennis but we are going to rank our will smith movies and i think we're going to do a good job here so we're ranking them one two and three we'll go three two one and we'll go in quick order here um e-man what do you got as your third favorite will smith movie of all time um, ooh, third favorite. Okay, so I'll give the more unconventional one so I can uh, give you guys a little leeway with this one. I'm going to go with Focus. I really thought Focus was unexpected, um, intriguing. Speaking of unexpected, I this pick it. is unexpected. I know, I know. I, I Listen, I, first of all, I'm trying to be respectful. I'm trying to leave <laughs> some things so that Matt doesn't sure. get mad that I picked his picks. <laughs> so I'm going to go with something that I'd say if it came on, I would watch it and still be satisfied and I'll go with focus. I thought it was a solid movie, um, entertaining, good action, good suspense, not very predictable. Yes. That's right up my alley for Will Smith. You guys are going to hate my number three pick, I think, but I, I, I just have a soft spot for this cheesy, movie oh, no. yeah I, I went with hitch ah. <laughs> oh boy wow listen, did things go listen. down here this is bad i this is I, kevin I james was, i i know you know what people hate on kevin james i think he's he's done some decent things in his career hitch, <laughs> hitch is fine what's wrong with hitch it's a cheesy it's romantic bad. it's not bad at all i okay. watched it i i think the first time i watched it i was on a date that i remember fondly and then I watched it again on cable one day and just laughed and enjoyed it. This is not a cerebral <laughs> film and it's not that an action. Not movie. It's, it's yeah. a romantic comedy and it's a good one. 
It's definitely well, one of the better ones. I, I wouldn't say it's actually awful either. I saw Hitch and I actually would say slight recommend. But when you're like saying it. your three favorite Will Smith movies and you mention Hitch, you come off like an idiot. Well, hey. It aged I, a I, little problematically too. I, I knew that nobody would pick Hitch, so I wanted it to be represented well, tonight. This is good because uh, my number three is not Hitch and it's not Focus. My very early in his career, 98, this movie came out. My number three favorite, and this is a true favorite, man, not just uh, if it came on cable, I'd laugh a little. Enemy of the State. Oh, that's a good one. That's a damn good one. That's a good one. I was struggling with that one. I was thinking about that one, but I'm good. Good. So good. Um, You got Gene Hackman pops up in this as well. And um, it's the classic case of a man on the run, and he doesn't know why he's on the run or who he's on the run from when it all starts, but he was slipped information um, into his uh, coat or, or bag. And, and now uh, the, the government, the secret uh, area of the government needs this information back. You get some great chase scenes. Uh, it's a paranoia movie. And, and it was early in Will Smith's career where we were still thinking like, oh yeah, this guy's going to be a massive star. It was exciting Will Smith time. So that's, that's my number bit. three. That's good. Twos. What do you got a two, E-Man? Oh, this is easy. King Richard. Tim Richard just jumped up my rankings very, very quickly. And it's I'm biased because he's playing the role that I'm living because I have a 14-year-old daughter, um, happens to be black, and she's started tennis. And we will go out in the middle of the night or, you know, at the end of the day, go play tennis. Um, You know, we're going to Dick's Sporting Goods. We're buying the rackets. We're doing, like, I'm living. I'm. I'm a yeah. mini King Richard. You know what I mean. So oh, like, that's awesome. a, like the whole movie was just like, you're speaking to me. So yeah, <laughs> it was a no brainer that I, this were to climb up my ranking. I gotta see. I gotta see E Man playing tennis. There's no way he's smiling like he is all the which, time talking movies. I know he gets angry and he throws the racket. I know. What you want to see are the shorts. <laughs> that's what you want to see. That's that's the real highlight there. Matt, what do you got it to? All right. Uh, and number two, I didn't I didn't even consider King Richard because um, that would be high on my list, as a matter of fact. But I went with Independence Day. This is this is the the, the layman's pick. But really, come on, guys. It's it's like classic Will Smith territory. I'm, I'm going to be a layman. Also, Matt, my number two pick was Independence Day as well. Thank um, you. And it almost could be number one. But a good point that uh, E-Man brought up earlier, he's not the star of the show. It's a more of an ensemble, big action piece. So there's other reasons why you like Independence Day. My number one is is a, a my favorite Will Smith performance. I wonder if we're all in agreement here. E-Man, your number one favorite Will Smith oh, movie. Oh, without question, is Pursuit of Happiness. That he, I, I personally, I think he was robbed. I think he should have won uh, the Oscar that year. I know it went to Forrest Whitaker instead, but um, that was a performance I had never seen before. That was a role I had never seen before. Um, single black father in positive light, making, you know, nothing into something like that was remarkable, you know, especially at that time. Sure. And um, given Will's track record at that time, that was easily his best performance. I've never seen him give so much range before. And like, I mean, he completely, Completely transformed and it was amazing it was amazing that I'll, I'll never forget that one scene 
where they're locked in the back bathroom Mm -hmm. and he's putting his foot on the door to hold tears Mm -hmm. tears you know so um yeah that's that's my favorite I, i i'm afraid to watch it because i just don't feel like crying like it's that good it has that much hold over me man i'm gonna let you go last here because my number one is also pursuit of happiness i'm in total agreement with e-man and so just to uh mention a couple other great scenes because yes tears in the bathroom scene we played a clip since we're celebrating will smith this month it was either last week or the week before of when they're on the basketball court and he tells his son um you know don't ever listen to people if they tell you you can't do something it's because they're afraid that they can't do it and he gives this great speech tears in my eyes there and then boy does the ending of that film absolutely rock yeah. When he gets the news and he walks out onto the sea of people, uh, it is, it, yeah, it is literally incredible. It's one of my favorite endings in, in movie history. I just, I well up in, in tears and I just feel good. It's, it's a feel good movie and yeah. pursuit of happiness. I'm, I'm right with you. I don't think he, he's done anything even remotely close in my book. Oh, that, I disagree. That good. King Richard's good. King Richard's there. But I don't think it's as good as even pursuit of happiness. I really still think that's his top tier. Yeah, for sure. Matt, we leave you at number one. Well, hey, listen, we're talking about transformations and Will becoming <clears throat> another person. We talked about how he studied Richard Williams and the way he moved, the way he talked. But a physical transformation on the screen of somebody who is the greatest of all time, to do that and do it convincingly is so difficult. It's such a Herculean task. But Will was up for it, man, when he played Ali. I mean... Muhammad Ali, you got you got to have some cojones to go up there and pl- and portray Muhammad Ali, and Will Smith pulled it off. No, this is a movie I have not seen. So oh, you I haven't seen Ali? Really? I have oh. not seen Ali. <clears throat> I'm a big I'm, fan of Muhammad Ali in general, so I just like that movie a lot. I'm not gonna lie, I wasn't as impressed with Ali. Really? Um, no, I mean that's okay. I like his attempt i give will an a for effort for sure and i think even he i don't know if he would admit it or not but i think he would say that it was definitely one of his most challenging roles to take on because i mean obviously the bigger the legend the harder the task but it's just that i've seen better like if you watch one night in miami i was gonna say guy that plays ali i thought he did a much more convincing performance than will did so and i think will's a better actor Will's, I just don't think that role was good for Will. Yeah, mm. I forget that guy's name. Can we throw that in the uh, fish tank, Phil? Who played Muhammad Ali in One Night in Miami? It's it's easier to do if you have a natural likeness. If you look a yes. little bit more like Muhammad Ali, and yeah. the 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 guy who played him, we're all tr- struggling to remember his name. So he wasn't as famous as Will Smith. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah I just think it was a, it was a tougher, it was a bigger challenge for Will. For sure, for sure. Yeah. Anyway, I like the movie. Hey, good picks. You can't go wrong with a Will Smith movie. That's what we've learned oh, here on no, Cinema Joss. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> I don't know about that. He's got a couple dinkin' dunkers in there. I don't Let's know. say most of the time, if you were throwing okay. a, dart, a dart at the dartboard, there's a good chance okay. you're going to hit a, have a hit on your hands. So okay. um, if we missed your favorite one, though, Jawheads, and you have Twitter pulled up, you want to comment on this list or our review of King Richards, always shoot us a tweet at Cinema Jaw or an email, feedback at cinemajaw.com. We are going to take a break, and when we come back, another feel-good movie, believe it or not. Belfast, we have to review. Plus, Matt is taking E-Man on in 
modern day black and white movie trivia. Stick with us. Will Smith may just be the king of monologues. He can take a line that on paper is just a dense breakdown of a movie's themes and symbolism and bring humanity to them. If you listened to my Eternals review, you know how much of a pretentious douchebag I can be when a script feels like it's insulting my intelligence. And don't get me wrong, I know this clip isn't a premium example of narrative writing, okay? It does feel a little force-feedy, but something about the gravelly and candid way Will delivers this rhetoric dump makes the scene stand out and actually become one of the most iconic moments in 2007's I Am Legend. What's her name? Marley. Her name was Marley. It's a beautiful name. Yeah, we named her after Bob Marley. Who? Uh, the singer. Uh, Damien? Uh, his father. His father. Mm, no. Oh, that is unacceptable. What? Best album ever made. This idea was kind of a virologist's idea. Um, he believed that you could cure racism and hate, literally cure it, by injecting music and love into people's lives. When they was scheduled to perform at a peace rally, gunmen came to his house and shot him down. Two days later, he walked out on that stage and sang. Somebody asked him why. He said, the people who are trying to make this world worse are not taking a day off. How can I? Light up the darkness. Hey, Jawheads, we all know November in Cinema Jawland means two things, Thanksgiving and Will Smith. And the best thing is, just like those greedy colonizers cups overflow with with native grains and culinary offerings, Will Smith has a cornucopia of movies available online. On Netflix, you can check out Ali, Seven Pounds, Collateral Beauty, and of course, Netflix's own Bright. Amazon Prime subscriptions include Life in a Year. The Aladdin remake is on Disney, obviously. And HBO Max subscribers rise up because I Am Legend, Hitch, Independence Day, Bad Boys 1 and 2, and Wild Wild West are all on there. And while you're at it, Will's got you feeling a special kind of way. And HBO Max also has you covered with a few episodes of The Fresh Prince from TV Land as well. 
And we are back on Cinema Jaw, hanging out with Emmanuel Noisette, better known as E-Man. Again, E-Man, for the Jawheads that want to check out your reviews, your YouTube, where should we send them online? Yeah, you can definitely go check out my YouTube channel, E-Man's Movie Reviews. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. That's at E-Man's Reviews. Um, or if you're a reader, you can also check me out on themovieblog.com, which, by the way, was the very first blog on movies. Oh, that's its claim to fame. Nice. Yeah. Good stuff. Matt, before we get to that Belfast review, we threw a few items into the fish tank. So let's open up that fish tank. Wait a moment. It's fish, isn't it? DC, wake up, wake up. No, Pat, it's a giant glass bowl. Hey, get some fish, folks. Who's coming with me besides Flipper? Here. That's a second message. That means Luca Brasi sleeps with the fishes. Yeah, thank you guys so much. Just a quick one, only a few in here tonight. Our first one is Borg vs. McEnroe streaming. Uh, It is streaming through Showtime if you have a subscription with that. And as a quick side note, uh, just I'm sure most people probably know this, but if you have a cable provider and you're subscribed through them uh, to the movie channels, which you're listening to this podcast, so assuming you may be, uh, usually you can get access to those from there. So I know for a fact my mom has Comcast and I've used her account to sign in before. Uh, but I know Direct TV and Spectrum, all those parts. If, if you're looking for a way to see Borg vs. McEnroe. <clears throat> uh, and then the other one we had who played Muhammad Ali in One Night in Miami, that actor is Eli Gore. He's been doing mostly TV stuff. Uh, since One Night in Miami. He appeared in Netflix's Glow, the roller skating one, uh, and has been on Riverdale since 2018. He was great. in Riverdale. That sounds like something right up E-Man's alley. It's (laughs) technically a comic. Yeah, it's it's Archie and Jughead, isn't it? I mean, he's Mr. Comic, you know? My daughter Um, is like all over it, so I'm not allowed to watch it because she's watching it. it, it's, It's like a dark take on the Archie comics, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. Interesting. Was that everything, Phil? That's all we got. All right, jump back in that fish tank. Can do. Guys, Kenneth Branagh, the man who gave us Thor, among his many other works, gives us Belfast, a late 60s period comedy drama about the idyllic, simple lives of the titular town upended by the clashes between the Protestants and Catholics in Northern Ireland. This piece is being poised and lobbied as an Oscar frontrunner for Best Picture. But does it stand up to the hype? Ryan, E-Man, and I headed to the Emerald Isle to find out. We all have a story to tell. But what makes each one different is not how the story ends, but rather the place where it begins. Holy God. My mom says if we went across the water, they wouldn't understand the way we talk. If they can't understand you, then they're not listening. You know who you are, don't you? Your buddy from Belfast, where everybody knows you. First, let me tell you that if you are a Van Morrison fan, you are in luck. If you're a fan of original, thought-provoking film, 
Sadly, you are not. That isn't to say that I didn't find any parts of Belfast enjoyable, meaningful, or lacking in beauty. That is to say it all felt rather familiar, and, and I'll get to that. Buddy is a grammar school-aged boy living his best life, crushing on his cute classmate, slaying imaginary dragons in his spare time. His friends and neighbors all look out for one another in a tightly knit community. In the opening scene, that comfort is shattered by a riot in the streets where Catholic homes are marked for further violence. It was a tense time in history, and the news coming out of Ireland seemed to spell doom. The film takes this backdrop and uses it to illustrate how family bonds can stretch, almost break, and then reaffirm our faith in peace, tolerance, and love. The cast here is 100% fantastic. From Judy Dench as Granny and Kieran Hines, who's pop, they had some of the best moments in the film, as well as Ma and Pa, played respectively by Katrina Balfe and Jamie Dornan, both superb. But the real standout, however, is newcomer Jude Hill as Buddy. He has almost a Ralphie-like presence on screen and harkens back to child actors of the 80s in terms of sheer charisma. I found the use of black and white and color scenes confusing. I get that the filmmaker was trying to illustrate that movies really mattered to Buddy by showing the movies they watch in color, but he goes on to break his own rules during a play scene, as well as a Thor Easter egg involving a comic book that I thought should have been in color. In short, black and white feels too gimmicky here. If this was a straight drama, maybe it makes more sense, but I'm sorry, Brenna, Steven Spielberg beat you to the punch by nearly 20 years. And speaking of biting other directors, this movie is Roma meets Jojo Rabbit, a semi-autobiographical dramatic comedy about an idyllic childhood set against the backdrop of hate and intolerance and the buildup to war, starring a small boy and his family. The boy suffers loss, learns about the horrors of war, and after a climactic battle, the whole thing ends in a dance. Belfast is one imaginary Hitler away from a copyright infringement lawsuit. There are also some mid-movie pacing issues that give the film a belly sag, but it did pick up toward the third act. For me, Belfast did not have a lot to say or an interesting way of saying nothing. It wasn't without its moments, but a best picture, this is not. Wow, Matt, coming out swinging. I like it. Um, I, I actually wasn't as wowed as I thought I was going to be. Um, our, our screening had, uh, uh, best way to say this, Matt, is like a dignitary from... A British um, consulate. Yes, in, in a tuxedo who was sitting right in front of us. Get with up a, and with speak. A flower on the lapel <laughs> and everything. It was really cheesy. So when you get that, and I mean, E-Man, you've been at these screens in Chicago. This doesn't yeah. normally happen at most of these. And this guy gets up and talks about how important this movie is and blah, blah, blah. Like, oh, man, we are in for a real treat here. So um, I, I wasn't completely blown away, but I did uh, enjoy my time learning and living, I say, in Belfast. And I say that because the movie did an excellent job of sort of transporting me to a different time and place. Um, I've heard of the the troubles, and I'm using quotes here as this is what the, the conflict is referred to as numerous times before in pop culture. Um, I mean, I remember looking up the meaning of the U2 song, Sunday, Bloody Sunday, uh, when I was a teenager and, and reading about it then. Um, but I never felt it, like felt 
being I was in the troubles like I did for the only 97 minutes. So I don't know what you're talking about, uh, pacing issues. The it's, 97 it's minutes sagged. spent watching Belfast. I, I thought the standout, like you said, was Jude Hill. But the mom also, I think, is, is going to get some award recognition here. She was excellent. Katrina Belf is excellent in this uh, role as the mom. So between those two performances, absolutely fantastic. And the idea that family, it's relatable growing up. It's yeah. a coming of age story. Very relatable. These are things that we can all uh, see in, in the movie, seeing it ourselves. So with all of that combined, I thought Belfast was a beautiful movie. I disagree with the black and white. I think it was needed. Uh, to transport us to that time. I think this wouldn't have worked in color the way it does. Um, much like Roma does with, with it, it's almost like a memory. When, when you look back at time in, in, in the director showing you a, a take on his childhood, it just works better in black and white. It's like an older time. I think that's why he went for it. Uh, E-Man, your thoughts on Belfast? So I can actually um, add a little insight to that because when I attended the press conference with Rana there that question was asked somebody asked him about the decision to do this in black and white um and it was actually intriguing because at first I was kind of I was kind of like where uh you know Matt was you know in my thinking but I will say his answer kind of changed my mind so what he said was basically he was having a conversation with his DP and um you know or um, and one of the things they were talking about was going to the monochrome you know black and white because when things are in color you know, especially when you're going to a different time, a different setting, it's easier to get distracted with the setting, the world building and all that versus when it's in black and white, you have no choice but to focus on the characters. You know, it, it's a way to really funnel our attention and focus on the issues, the personalities, the people involved, um, because it's less distracting. You know, there's less stuff to focus on when it's all in black and white. And it was just really intriguing to hear that, you know, from a visual standpoint, how that affects our, you know, attentiveness, um, you know, and, and relation to the characters. And it worked for me. Um, I mean, watching the movie, I was I came in with very low expectations. Um, hmm. I initially didn't even want to see the movie. But, hey, if I'm going to if this is going to be part of the trip, why not? You know, <laughs> not going to turn that down. Um, but I found it to be very charming. I thought it was um, very insightful, especially for, you know, like Rye said, you know, um, diving a little, getting that first person's perspective of the troubles. You know, I've always heard about it. Um, I've never really deep delved deep into it. Um, but the thing that I thought was very interesting was just how much that struggle connects, you know, and it was like a human tr struggle, you know, I mean, the whole idea of like trying to escape a place that is in unrest, you know, and I think about the troubles, I think of like, you know, um, people trying to escape from Germany, you know, during um, Hitler's run, um, just uh, slavery, you know, in America, like, all, there's so many different common themes or even not even uh, slavery, but uh, King Richard, you know, like, hey, we got to get out of here because this is not a good environment, you know, and just that whole idea of family coming together and, you know, um, excellent performances um, all across the board. Um, I thought it was very, very charming. I loved the, the kid, uh, Jude Hill, thought he did a very exceptional job. Um, you know, I was very, very happy with uh, 
Jamie uh, Dornan as well. Thought his character did wonderful. A uh, little fun thing. I don't know if you guys saw it. Um, it was circulating online or whatever. When they did their after party for the screening, uh, Jamie Dornan got on there on stage and started singing the song. Um, what was it Everlasting Love? Yeah, yeah. Or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, that was awesome. You can actually go online and see, you know, clips of it. Um, but that was really cool that he actually did that uh, live, but not live in the movie. He did say that he pre-recorded that. So in case anybody was wondering, uh, that was pre-recorded, but it was still him. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, I thought the movie was cool. I don't, I think people want this to be a best picture. It wouldn't be, I understand the nomination. I wouldn't vote it as a best picture. Um, I think that, you know, I, I love the fact that it was a personal story. Um, I love the fact that Kenneth Branagh was able to uh, communicate that story to people. I think he communicated it effectively, um, which is pretty much all you can really ask for. Um, but I, 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 you know, I don't, and I hate to say this, but it feels a little Oscar baitish yeah. in a sense. Yeah, it does. Um, you know, and, I, and the only reason I hate to say that is because, like, I don't want to take anything away from his true intention of trying to get this movie out because he was talking about how he was sitting on this for 50 years. You know, this was a movie that, like, he always wanted to tell a story he always wanted to tell for 50 years, and now was, like, the right time to do it. Um, but, you know, I just, I don't know. It, it's just the way some movies are crafted and made we start to see this familiar pattern and trend when it comes to award season and it seems like pandering i, I do agree to I, uh, that does happen you know? with a lot of movies yeah i'll, I'll co counter with this though a lot of films like belfast this is the only big marketing chance that they have is to latch on to award season if belfast comes out not being you know touted as a possible best picture and it comes out in the middle of july mm -hmm. nobody goes to see this movie so the studio puts it out and puts all this pressure on and starts building the the, the awards campaign because i think this is the only reason that it's a marketing, marketing ploy? Team, yes to, to get people to come out and see the, the film well i guess it Wait, works it's the best chance who Who's going to come out and see that? I don't think I don't think this is a movie that the general public is going to see, no matter how much money the studios put behind well, it. I mean, it's going to be a tough sell for sure. Older, but, but older people thing, still like, aren't going out to the theaters right now. So this is too. going to be very difficult for sure. I, I would just say, even if it's perfectly, you know, let's just say there's no pandemic, there's no issue or whatever. I don't think that movies like this are appealing. Now, I think these are the type of movies and this is why I've always tried to champion the difference between blockbusters being in theaters and movies like this being pushed on streaming. You know, I want to see something like this at home. I don't think that this is something like, hey, let's go out on date night and go watch this maybe miserable movie. Like, you know, who knows? <laughs> it was uplifting um, at the end. You know? No, 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 it, it was. I'm just saying, like, the way it was marketed, that doesn't scream, let me go pay big money for tickets to go see this. Mm -hmm. But if it's something like, hey, it's, you know, I'm at home, it's on Netflix, it's like the number one, because Netflix does really good internal promoting on their app. If, if they say it's the number one thing, you're like, why? Yeah, Let me watch. Games. 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. So um, I think that this would have been fantastic on a streaming platform, um, you know, but at the end of the day, I think the main people that are going to appreciate this are us like press critics like it's not it's not a crowd pleaser i mean you know i'm not saying people are going to hate it i just don't think it's something that's going to draw people in um and watch you well, know, I think unless it's... you have a direct connection like you're irish or you know and you you've got to see this because it speaks to you but I don't know. And, and there's people out there that, that i think it will connect um you oh, know for sure absolutely yeah. um but being a crowd pleaser there were some some Great moments in the film. Yes. Matthew, you got a jaw-dropping moment for us. The opening scene, that 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 riot that breaks out, um, it was shocking. And it, it actually made me jump. The, the the suddenness of it was was pretty um pretty great. Uh the 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 choreography of the blocking of that scene, just the way they shot it, it was really well done. I, I enjoyed that. It was kind of shocking, but in a good way. I was a huge fan of uh, Buddy, the the little kid. He's got this crush, as you mentioned, on this uh, classmate of his, and he the the, the teacher ends up uh, uh, putting every kid in order of how they do on their test scores, and that's how they end up sitting in class. And the girl that he has the crush on is always sitting uh, like in the pole position, if you can, front front right you know and so he wants to get the next best score so that he can sit right next to her and he goes to his grandpa there and he gets advice about uh how to fix his math scores and and some hilarity ensues that entire sequence of his score and then exactly what happens um that's a just an absolutely charming moment in the film yeah oh i agree yeah all the scenes and, and, with uh, the grandfather were great any other moment uh, that you like there Eman? oh i i probably the end with the uh the dance number um i thought that was just so you know coming from all the tension you know uh throughout the film and all the back and forth with the riots and protests and so that to me was just like such a nice you know breath of fresh air you know it was just a way to kind of relieve yourself and it was i just found it compelling because it's always i guess moving when you see human beings going through ridiculously tough times and still managing to find some point of joy or joy, you know, even in the worst of times. And I thought I like that. I'm a sucker for that. That's Mm -hmm. beautiful to me. So um, that scene was great. Since you bring it up, I I alluded to this being just yet another one of the beats that he bites off Taika Waititi. Because to me, I, I was thinking this as I was watching it. This is Jojo Rabbit 2. Am I wrong? I think I, you're barking up a, a weird tree with really? that. Really? You do? Yeah, I mean, I, I said it when you came out of the screen and you told I me I don't that. think I said so, it, anything, man. it mimics closer to Roma than it does anything else. It's I black, black, because it's black and white and autobiographical. I see the Roma. That's why I mentioned it. And, and kudos to you. you. I did get that idea from Ryan. But Jojo Rabbit, it follows beat for beat. It it's really does. I mean, like I said, it's one imaginary Hitler away from being Jojo Rabbit. I, I, I feel like it's more coincidence, and and I'm only and that's only because I'm really trying to give Sir Kenneth Branagh like the benefit of the doubt that he was like this was his story. He was really really trying to do his own thing, um, 
and, and get it out there. But well, then that's sloppy I mean, on his part. If it's look, a coincidence. Look, look, I mean, there are so many movies out there that look like and sound like others. It hap- I think that's more of a human coincidence. I mean, the same thing happens with music. You know, you got two artists at the same time, same era, and all of a sudden there are similar beats and similar vibes and stuff. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm just, I'm not denying no, what you're saying. I, I agree. I'm just man. saying I think it's more of a coincidence than it is intentional. You know what else is very similar, Matt? All the Marvel movies. <laughs> oh, don't do boom. Yeah, you want want to see an origin story? We're going to show you eleven of them in a row. You can you can make that argument, Ryan, and and you might have some valid points. But like I said, like background of of hate and intolerance, check. Uh, But it's a comedy, check. But it's also a drama, check. There's there's some there's some people that we lose, check. And there's a big battle at the end, check. And it ends with a dance number, check. Now, okay, here's the question for you, and this is just for critic to critic. Is that the fault of the movie? Yes. Because let's just say, but here's the thing. Let's just say you hadn't seen Jojo Rabbit and you only saw Belfast. Okay. Would it be a problem? No. I would probably have enjoyed Belfast a lot more. So your problem here is the fact that you're too experienced of a moviegoer and you've seen too many things that like you're you're cursed with the gift of knowledge (laughs) i i I see the point you're trying to make but i don't think it i don't think it flies because jojo rabbit was not some long ago movie this this just happened this was i'm with you i'm with you on that i i I, listen i get it i'm just i'm like i don't know how to hold it against them unless i knew you know, the DP and, and the director were like staring over Taika's shoulder right. the whole time. And, and I, didn't, I didn't sit there and, and watch and think, oh, this is just the same exact beats as Jojo Rabbit the way Matt does. But all right. OK. Movie poster quote, Matt. And don't say anything Jojo Rabbit in the movie poster quote. Belfast is one imaginary Hitler away from being Jojo Rabbit, too. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my God. There you go. All right. I went with Jude Hill. 11 gives one of the best performances of the year. I love this kid. Can't disagree. I, I loved him too. He was great. This movie is charming. I, I did enjoy it. So we're on a four jaw scale here. We'll start with E man. How many jaws for Belfast? Uh, I'm going to give you the, the two, but it's weird. As a personal favorite, I'm going to say two and a half. But on a technical scale, like if I'm reviewing it and putting it on paper, I'd probably say three, mm. just because it hit, it hits too many technical things. Well, cinematography, writing, directing, like performance are solid. It just does too many. Th- if this were film school, it would get an A. If it was a film project, so I, I'll give it a three. Matt. I'll, I'll go ahead and give it the two and a half. I, I really enjoyed it. I agree. There's some great technical prowess on display here, but at the end, it felt derivative to me, regardless of the great performances. I'm at three jaws, um, not completely blown away, but felt that it was charming, heartwarming at the end. And you learn and feel like you've actually been in, in the shoes of this family in Belfast. So do recommend checking it out. It is 
out in theaters playing limited release. Check it out, Jawheads. Let us know what you think. Uh, you know, I, I put him on my movie poster quote, Jude Hill. Unbelievable. I really, the film doesn't work without an absolutely magical performance by the kid. He has to be extremely charismatic for this film to work because that's what lures us in. What other movie kid do you find as crucial of a performance that knocked it out of the park, uh, Eamon? Haley Joel Osment. Six cents. Oh, yeah. No doubt. Couldn't have done it without him. Like, you needed him. Matt, what do you got? Um, you know, I was I, I was going to mention Haley for sure, but you know, let's let's go with uh, let's go with Ralphie himself, Peter Billingsley. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I've I've watched Christmas Story probably twenty five, thirty times, maybe <laughs> I don't know a lot. I've even seen the stage performance, and Ralphie is just he's just so lovable. You just want to pinch his little cheeks, you know. So Ralphie. speaking of holiday movies, you got to go Macaulay Culkin and I was just going to say, yeah, right? somebody had to mention. Okay. I mean, okay. absolutely carries the entire movie. I mean, it's literally yeah. just Macaulay Culkin and, and the wet bandits for, you know, 45 minutes yeah. of pure entertainment. Um, and then one other one sort of outside the box is uh, Haley Steinfeld in the uh, Coen brothers remake of true grit. She sure. was excellent in that uh, performance. And I remember thinking, like, if, if you don't have a, more of a, a teen, though, a teen, true. But if you don't have a, that child performance really work, it that that movie just is going to be garbage. Stuff. I was going to say um, Natalie Portman. Oh, uh, professional. professional. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good one. I remember that was, man, that was a great movie. Central. I loved that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing we mentioned about Belfast is that it is based on the director's life. So another movie uh, that is is more or less a story uh, that the director went through or based on his life, uh, a recommendation that you would give the Jawheads that ties into that. We'll start with you, man. You know what? This was one I kind of struggled with because, I mean, I guess I could say Roma, but I felt like that was kind of also like the layman's pick as well. Um because when I was really thinking back about the movies, I mean, well, I won't mention the other ones because I'm sure you guys will pick them, but um, I didn't really care too much about other ones based off of the director's lives, you know. But yeah, I'll, I'll just go with Roma. I, I think that was probably the most relevant one and at least one that I didn't completely fall asleep on. I love Roma. I do too. Yeah. I'm going with Lost in Translation, which yeah, that was the other one. I didn't even know that that was something that Sofia Coppola based on on you know her experiences. So that was something I learned. Um, I have both those written down on my list here, and and another one that I came up with was Almost Famous, which was oh uh, good call, dude. Cameron Crowe who went out on the road. Uh, for Rolling Stone magazine and then had this idea of making a movie yeah. based on that crazy story. So I will go with Almost Famous, another great one. I'm surprised you guys didn't say Boyhood. Ah, Boyhood. Yes. Ladder, yeah, for sure. Another great, great one. one as well. Absolutely. That's a good one. All right. That's enough, Matt, on our talk on Belfast. Uh, shoot us a tweet when you do see it. Let us know what you thought of it. Whew. Three Jaws from Ride the Movie Guy, two and a half from Matt K, and three Jaws from E-Man himself. 
All right. We like to end these podcasts always with a very competitive game of trivia. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't think me and E-Man ever got super competitive. Did usually we? we oh. Usually I can't sell it that way. But with E-Man, I can because I like to see you guys uh, go to battle here. All right. In honor of Belfast, the theme here is modern black and white movies. E-Man, you're our guest. You get to choose if you want to go first. Let Matt go first. There are steals. And if you get hung up on any questions, you get one rescue. Rescue me, Ryan. I always lose when I go second, so I'll go first. All right. Question number one. Modern day black and white movies. Jawheads play along. Here we go. E-Man, last year, David Fincher gave us this movie starring Gary Oldman about the making of Citizen Kane. Gary Mank. That is correct. Okay. Yes. One to nothing, E-Man. Question two over to Matt K. Matt, The Lighthouse from David Edgars starred Willem Dafoe and this actor. Batman. Oh, you need the actor's name? <laughs> uh, he, was, he was the vampire in, uh, in the Twinkly Vampire movies. Why am I blanking on, on his name? Um <laughs> Oh man, I know. He having a hoot over here. I know. Just, it's just, this. this is just a. This is just one of those 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 cogs in your brain that's like temporarily stuck, and it'll it'll turn in a second. Um, yeah, when I steal it, give it to me. It'll it'll hang on. I just need to like spray some WD forty in my <laughs> my Who nose. Starred in the White House with Willem Dafoe. Come on, Matt. You got five seconds. Um. His name starts with a man. I'm just blanking on this guy's name. You could see his stupid face. We right, got to buzz, buzz him. We got to buzz him. Who is it, E man? Robert Pattinson. Thank you. Robert Pattinson. It there is. we go. <laughs> Highly respected actor, by the way. Yeah. Two to nothing, E-Man. Question three is over to him. He can blow it wide open here. E-Man, Noah Baumbach has made three movies with Greta Gerwig, but only one of them was in black and white. Name the movie. Uh... Noah Baumbach working with Greta Gerwig in a black and white movie. Hmm. Can I get a hint? The rescue, or... do you want the rescue on question yeah, three? I think I do. Wow, your clue here is a woman's name is in the title. Oh, um, wait, can I? <laughs> you only get one rescue, right? Yeah, that's it. Uh, God. Don't do this to me. Take your time because I will not no. get this one. <laughs> no, I remember seeing crap. Is it Francine? Oh, he's so close here. He's so close. It's something with the F. <laughs> France. Was it Francine? Ha, Francis. We're going to give it to him. It's Francis. Ha. He's Francis. Oh, we're giving it okay. to you. We're giving it to you. Francis. Oh, Jesus. Ha. Speaking wow. of directors making movies, autobiographical movies, didn't he squid in the whale? Bombach. That's that's another good one. Yeah. About his go. divorced parents. Absolutely. Um, it is three to nothing. Now, E-Man question four over to Matt K. Matt Zendaya and John David Washington starred in this Netflix movie last year. 
That was Zendaya. obviously in, in black and white. And it was in black and white. And mm-hmm. John David Washington started this you guys. Netflix movie. Well, we didn't review it on Cinema John. Well, we don't right. review it on Cinema John. Matt, good chance he I doesn't watch the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Unless it's Marvel. I never miss one. Um, all right, what the hell? Rescue me, Ryan. Wow. Back to back, back rescues. Give me Your a hint. clue on this one is a good snack for this movie would be M&M's. <laughs> a good snack for this movie would be M&M's. So I'm guessing there's probably like M and M in the title or something like that. Wow. Wow. The way this guy's brain works. I mean, <laughs> you can see why he's the genius. Zendaya, John David Washington, M&M's, black and white. Anything. You got five seconds. I got there. nothing. I got nothing. He's got nothing. Man, that is breaking out tonight. Wow. I'll take that. What do you got I'll here? Malcolm and Marie. That is correct. I interviewed him for that one, too. I remember that one. Malcolm and Marie, correct. Four to nothing, E-man. Wow, this is becoming a slaughter it's a, it's a at this slaughter. point, Matt. Yeah. Question five is actually over to E-Man. In 1998, Christopher Nolan launched his career with his first feature film, Shot in Black and White. Name it. Oh, crap. Wow. Out of rescues, too. Christopher Nolan. Christopher it Nolan. Memento? It was not Memento. There was a wow. movie before that was my guess. That's my guess. That's I don't know. Matt, I thought it was, okay. Christopher I Nolan. I can't remember if, if there's a the. Are you going to be that specific? Drop the the. Okay, following. Matt's oh. on the board. Following is correct. Okay. It is four to one. Wow. If, if Matt comes back, I, I will be stunned. <laughs> so Question six I. is... <laughs> Question six is over to Matt. Matt, the last black and white film to win Best Picture Oscar. What was it? The Artist? Holy cow. Don't call it a comeback. (laughs) It is a comeback. Not yet. Four to two. Question seven over to E-Man. E-Man, Tim Burton has made two movies in black and white. Name one of them. Oh. Tim Burton has made two movies in black and white. Name one of them. Uh, (laughs) Okay, look. Beetlejuice wore black and white. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Um, Okay, so I don't remember if this was in black and white or if it had black and white scenes. The uh, it was that animated one, um, with the dog. It's like Frankenstein something, Frankenweenie or something like that. That is correct. Is that <laughs> is was, correct. okay. Was that in black and white? That was in black and white. That's okay. one of his two. What was okay. the other what was one? The other do, you, one? You, do you know it, Matt? Actually, I was gonna guess Frankenweenie, but oh. uh, <laughs> let's see. It's it was Ed Wood. Ed Wood. Oh, okay. that was yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, E-Man is officially won. It is five to two. Last question of the game is over to Matt K. Matt, name the 2013 Alexander 
campaign directed film about an old man who thinks he's won a million dollars in a sweepstakes and journeys over 700 miles to claim his prize. Nebraska. That is correct. <sighs> Nebraska. Ends five to three. Can I get a virtual handshake yeah. here? E-Man's a winner. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> well if done, it came sir. down to a tie, we call it a jawbreaker. This question would have been over to E-Man. Zendaya, good actress or just a flash in the pan? No, good actress. Good actress. Good we'll give that to him. We'll give that to him. Uh, the real jawbreaker was this. Age of Christopher Nolan, closest to. Matt, how old is Christopher Nolan? Wow. Uh, he's got to be pushing 60. I will put him at 50. Eight years old, 58. Lock him in at 58. E-Man, you got to guess. I was going to go 53. That is a lot closer. He's 51. Give that one to oh, E-Man. Wow. He is Christopher young. Yeah. We still got many Christopher Nolan movies still to oh, come. Yeah. Damn. For sure. I thought he was much older than me. Oh, I love I love that E-Man won. Now, now when we see E-Man at the next screen, he's going to have that big smile on his face when Matt walks in, and Matt's going to be all slumped over. I, don't even... I, think we're, I think we're tied now. Is that so? we're officially tied, yeah. I think we're tied 2-2. All right, cool. Because I lost the last one, and I know I lost another one when we were in the studio. In the, in the studio and it, it killed me because it was something. I think it was a Tom Cruise one or something. But it, it just really just burn me because i was like oh, i had it but you know what we yeah. should do i don't know if you're game for this but maybe mm -hmm. next time you come on we should we should make it totally even footing and go mm -hmm. like marvel movie trivia Ooh. Ooh. i'll have that's to dig dangerous. deep though i'll have to that's dig dangerous. deep I'll, I'll have to actually get help that'll be that'll be a slobber knocker yeah that'll be but it's stuff. ryan writing the questions and and he doesn't know you know anything I know. About like who played tony stark no I mean. no no i will I, if, if, <laughs> if it comes down to that i'll actually get some help and i'll get a, somebody that i know that knows some good marvel questions all right so, that'll be fun right. we'll, we'll do that yeah i'll be down good stuff all right brings us to the end of a very fun and entertaining job we gotta thank e-man for coming on thanks a lot emmanuel thank you guys so much it's always a blast coming on here we also got to thank our producer our engineer fill me in phil you guys know I wouldn't be anywhere else on a Thursday night. Best night of the week. Matt, we should also thank Overcast and our Patreons. Yeah, why not? Those guys help make this show possible. So thank you, Overcast. And thank you for being a CinemaJaw patron. If you're not, go to patreon.com backslash CinemaJaw and join up because we're doing fun stuff there like bonus episodes. And the other way you can support Cinema Jaw very easy is just by leaving us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. And please click subscribe. It helps out a lot. Until next week, I'm Ryan the Movie Guy. I'm Matt K. And, and keep, keep on John about, about the movies. movies.